This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, the Seahawks looking to fill the gaps in on that coaching staff under Mike McDonald as they uh, talk to people out there. They, along with a couple other teams, have coordinator positions open, and there's a coordinator available, Dave. We were talking about him earlier in the show, Eric Bieniemy, formerly with the uh, Commanders, now out there to be had. A man who knows a thing or two about him and the Commanders and their new head coach, Dan Quinn, is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Sam Fortier of the Washington Post is with us. How are you, Sam? I'm doing well, thanks. Hey, we appreciate you taking a few minutes with us. Want to get some thoughts from you on uh, Dan Quinn and everything else. But, you know, we're looking at coordinators out here with a new head coach looking to fill the OC and the, the defensive coordinator spots. But Eric Bieniemy is an intriguing name that comes up every single year when it comes to head coaching opportunities. But only one year out there with, with the commanders. What was the what was the feeling? I remember there was a little bit of a dust-up between him and players or the, the way he was talking to him or something in the very beginning. How did how did this year go for him? Yeah, I think, you know, this was a really intriguing opportunity for Eric Bieniemy because, you know, he had never been a, a sole play caller in an offense before. And this was, you know, ultimately good for him because he got that responsibility. He got to own it. He, it wasn't perfect. His offensive line was, was tough. Uh, you know, obviously a young starting quarterback in Sam Howell. Um, but ultimately, I think, you know, it, it just came down to the offense didn't execute. They were 23rd in points scored. Uh, they were worse in a lot of advanced metrics. So it's just a guy who, you know, got his shot, but I, I don't think made the most of it. And there are a lot of reasons there. Um, there were also some tension with players, tight end Logan Thomas saying uh, at the end of the year in, in their, uh, in the locker room after the last game that, hey, we had some ups and downs. Um, with him, and I, I think you know I might be the only person to say that, but we did. Tell us about you know some of the things that that he runs into. You know, we hear. I know. Look, I, I played against him, and he was always talking. And you know, he was he was just one of those guys that would get under your skin a little bit. And so, what's what's sort of his his personality, and why is it you, you think specifically that he hasn't gotten the the crack at head coaching jobs? Yeah, why he hasn't gotten a crack at a head coaching job, I think, is complicated. Um, and I think a part of it had to do with, you know, not being the sole offensive play caller and having Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid surrounding him and say, hey, you know, how do you isolate that guy from those circumstances? In terms of his personality, I mean, he's an incredibly hard-charging, demanding guy. And, and obviously, some players don't respond well to that. Some players do. I think that, you know, if you surveyed the commander's locker room last year, you get a pretty even breakdown of guys that appreciated that approach and, and guys who were really frustrated by it. So, uh, I think it's a uh, it's a complicated it's a complicated um, question, but uh, uh, that I think is really dependent on individuals. I knew I do know though in training camp when he was running them hard. I mean, players said unquestionably we're in better shape, we're getting better, uh, but it didn't always translate. I think you know his play calling was extremely pass heavy. Uh, I don't think defenses had to respect the run, and it made it much harder for Sam Howell, a young quarterback, you know, throwing as many times a game as he did. Yeah, you just hit on one of – you brought up that this was his first time solo, basically calling all the plays himself as opposed to what he did with Andy Reid out there. So was there was there a lot of, uh, I don't know, complaining about the lack of rushing attempts, the, the pass-heavy nature of it? What was the sort of response to what he was doing as a coordinator throughout the season? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the offensive linemen on this team, I wouldn't blame them if they wanted to fight him 
because I mean, in score neutral, <laughs> in score neutral situations when you don't, you know, the clock or the scoreboard isn't dictating whether you run or pass. I mean, this guy was throwing the ball 61, 62 percent of the time, which is you know one of the most in the league um, with a quarterback not named Patrick Mahomes. And so, when you're doing that, when you have Sam Howell who has trouble diagnosing coverages pre-snap and post-snap. I mean, that, that's a recipe for disaster, and I think you saw that in, in a lot of the commander's game flows this year. Hey, Sam, so we read the stuff that um, Dan Quinn said, and it sounded uh, worse, certainly, than when you actually listened to the audio. It sounds like he has a, a tremendous amount of respect for Eric Bieniemy, and what, were, what was uh, maybe a little bit on that, and then just also what was your impression of Dan Quinn? My impression of Dan Quinn, I mean, a lot of energy. Um, I think he's more than, you know, a defensive coordinator coming from the NFC, or defensive head coach, you know, who had previously failed with a, an NFC South team. Um, I think a lot of people around here see him as a retread Ron Rivera, but I, I think that's a little un, unkind. Um, in terms of what he said about the enemy, he said, you know, that's a guy uh, who he respects what he does, but he wishes him the best moving forward. I think once you see Cliff Kingsbury come on the market, when you have the number two pick and say, hey, we could go get a top quarterback, and when you look at the list of guys Cliff has developed from, you know, Patrick Mahomes to Baker to Caleb Williams last year at USC to Case Keenum, I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a great list. And so it's no hit on Eric Bieniemy. I think it's just Cliff Kingsbury is, is a different kind of guy. Hey, as far as, uh, you know, before Quinn got hired, Ben Johnson was the story out there. He was a guy out that, you know, we wanted to hear from out here. And then all of a sudden he says, I'm not interested. And then we've read some stories about, you know, the timing of him saying that and texting the, you know, Washington brass who were on their way in midair to go see him. And he, he elected to pull out of that. And then we've heard about contract demands, things like that. What, what can you, can you clarify the, that situation for us, how that all went down? <laughs> Uh, both sides have certainly been, uh, you know, waging a PR battle through leaks for sure. Um, but I mean, look, I think Ben Johnson, after you lose an emotional game like that, when you choke away the NFC championship, uh, and, and if you want to stay in Detroit and, and make another run at it, I think it makes sense. Um, obviously Washington was holding out, um, Raheem Morris, uh, obviously went to Atlanta and, and I think talked to the commanders about, Hey, would you be interested? And, and he ultimately said, you know, they ultimately said, Oh, we're going to stick to our process. So when you give up, talented guys uh, to, to pursue Ben Johnson. And then he pulls out the last minute. I think it's understandable. There were hard feelings, but I also, you know, wouldn't fault a guy for saying, Hey, I'd rather stay in my current job. You know, I, I like doing this rather than go somewhere else. So, I mean, it's certainly odd. I don't think we've ever seen a hot coordinator, a hot name on, on the coaching cycle, pull out two in a row, uh, but that's the decision he made. Hey, Sam, so it uh, looks like you have the number two pick there in Washington and then also uh, a couple of second rounders, uh, 36 and 40, pretty good draft coming up. What's the uh, what's the consensus as far as who they're going to take with that first pick? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be quarterback. I think they could move up and get Caleb Williams, but if not, maybe Drake May, maybe Jaden Daniels. It, it's definitely going to be a quarterback, and uh, I think that they're going to hope that Dan Quinn, Cliff Kingsbury, the, the staff they have in place, fact they don't have Dan Snyder anymore um, is going to give them a guy help deliver them a guy that could be here for the next 10-15 years how how is the what's the reception for Dan Quinn like just maybe amongst fans that you're hearing from does it feel like oh this wasn't our first choice so we got this guy or do they feel like no this this is the right choice or how's that how's that being received out there the hiring of Dan Quinn the fan base being disappointed, I think, will be putting it mildly. I mean, people were really <laughs> excited about Ben Johnson uh, and, and his offensive scheme. I know 
the commander search really came down to Ben Johnson, Mike McDonald, who you guys obviously are, are familiar with, and uh, Dan Quinn, who they ultimately settled on. So uh, I think people aren't excited, but um, I think that this is a guy who, you know, the only guy, he's 53 years old, he's the only guy who's the second time head coach. I think there's a lot of valuable experience uh, that can be gained. Hey, Sam, uh, I think we talked to you during the, the season and you kind of indicated that it was probably going to be over for Ron Rivera. But as far as him and his tenure there, it seems like he kind of turned things around. Uh, you know, having a, an owner that, you know, wasn't wasn't great PR wise. It seemed like he did a really good job with that and making it more of a desirable place to for players to come and coaches to come. Did, is that the impression you got? Do you think he did? He repaired uh, that franchise a little bit? He was decent and competent at a time when this organization needed a lot of that. I think, um, you know, do I think Ron Rivera was a a great football coach here, that he was scheming it up and and putting his players in the best position to succeed? No, but I think that he gave a lot. uh, You know, he he was a buffer between the locker room and, and, you know, the chaotic, turmoil-filled final days of Dan Snyder. And, you know, that 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 counts for something. It, it's not in the win and loss column, but I do think it counts for something. Um, and at the end of this year, obviously, it was a time for a change, and, and I think they made it. Hey, Sam, we know you got to go. You're busy out there, so we appreciate you taking a few minutes with us as always. Thanks so much, man. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. There you go. There's Sam Fortier, Commander's Beat Writer for the Washington Post. Uh, just to his comments on Enemy, that was not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> where he said, well, his old lineman would like to fight him. And then his uh, if he asked that <laughs> locker room, it's half and half, like half like him. The other half had a problem with him. That's that's not good. That that. Well, I feel like Eric Bieniemy. Just from what I've seen from him, he is he's probably a guy that would fight the offensive line. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty funny line, though. Yeah. <laughs> but if you if you've only got half that locker room, I mean, we've seen coaches leave or get fired or whatever, and you you hear guys just coming out one after another, like, "Oh, coach is great. We loved him. He was great." You know, if you got half the locker room going, yeah. I'm fine. Good riddance. Not saying they said that, but he's, you know, just going on what he said that they're, you know, it's kind of a split locker room on how they feel about the enemy. That's not a, the ringing endorsement you'd want if you're considering them for your, your position out here. Yeah. At least not for me as a Seahawks fan. I don't, that doesn't fill me full of confidence. No, it's, it's kind of like uh, Kadarius Tony and, and yes. Andy Reid. Like you, you don't want any controversy or anything going on where you think that, you know, and I don't know, maybe he, there might be some guys that just love the enemy and and don't have you know any kind of a problem, but it just seems like where there's smoke, there's fire, and lots of times you you hear those kinds of things about him. Um, I don't think he's. It doesn't mean he's a bad coach, but you know a lot of coaching is getting the best out of your players, and if you can't get that done because your personality, then that can be problematic. How, how hard do you think it would be for him to change? You know, the old saying, can't teach an old dog new tricks. And if he's not getting the head coaching opportunities that I presume he wants, assume he wanted, because he's going through the interviews, if he didn't want them, I don't know why he'd even entertain an interview with anybody. But each year he's not getting those. And now he gets his first time with, with Washington where you're the man. There's no, It's not Andy calling the plays, as we heard LaShawn saying, yeah, Andy's drawing up these plays. That's not him. This is the first time a solo mission wasn't awesome and there was some blowback about his his personality or how he interacted with players so if you're taking all of that into account if you're him aren't you kind of i would hope stepping back with a little self-reflection going okay you know maybe i need to change my approach here or maybe i need to you know alter my belief my philosophy or something along that i i need to make a bit of a change here because i can't sit there and say well 
everybody else is the problem. It's that team and that team and that GM and these players and these players. It's you're the common denominator. Well, I think he's 54 or 55 years old, and he's been in the NFL since like 1991, 1990, I think. So you're saying no. I'm thinking maybe you're he's saying this is who his he is. way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, well, look, you can't say he hasn't had success. I mean, he is he's been a coach in the league for a really long time for some good offenses. So, yeah, I don't I, I'm not sure, but yeah, Sam Howell, didn't he get sacked like 180 times or something yeah, like that? He, he, I think he was a uh, the quarterback there in Washington. Was it David Carr with the record? Is he the one that uh, was just beat into submission uh, in his rookie season? Yeah. I think, yeah, Howell led, let me let me look it up because now I'm curious, but I, I know he led uh, the regular season in, in being sacked. Yeah. I just, just want to see how far ahead he was of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, it was way ahead. Good for him. I just love that. Yeah, I think the offensive lineman would like to fight him. Uh, he wasn't. He was only. He only beat Bryce Young by three. He was the leading, uh, the most sacked quarterback in the league at sixty-five times. Yeah, and he lost four hundred and forty-nine yards on those sacks. Interestingly yeah. enough, Bryce Young lost four hundred and seventy-seven yards on sixty-two sacks, and then the next closest was forty-six. Hmm. Zach Wilson. So there's there's a big gap between uh, Sam Howell, Bryce Young, and then the rest of the crew. Yeah, but I mean, look, I, I don't, I don't. Maybe if you ask Eric Bieniemy, and he's like, "Yeah, my career's going fine. I mean, I've had a couple of chances to to be a head coach. I think you know, if he wants to be that, he can. If he hangs in there, but I don't know. I just you're out in front of you're really such a figurehead, you know, and that that's the the thing. You know, maybe he is one of those guys that might blow up at a press conference or something like that, and that's kind of what you don't want. So yeah. But you know you haven't you can't say that he hasn't had a very very successful career in the NFL both as a player and a and a coach. So do you do you you know and somebody texted in like oh you guys are going to take Lashawn McCoy's word for it the disgruntled guy who got cut or something I'm like well I'm not saying he speaks for everybody but he's closer to the situation than you the texter than me than Dave than he played for the guy he was in the locker room with him he was in the film room with him so he's got more insight than just about anybody else is going to have. Well, and we're not really just taking his word for it. We're, he's he's pretty much confirming something that we've thought before. And the reason why we've thought it before is because people have, there have been things that like, yeah, yeah and there's been nobody come out, you know, that comes out and says, hey, I'm LaShawn McCoy, and, you know, this is what my, my problem is with him, and he did this, that, and the other. We haven't, we haven't really heard that. We just heard sort of little sprinklings here and there that he's not the greatest, most, warm and fuzzy coach in yeah. the NFL. Yeah, somebody sent in a text that said Brock said he he was kind of an angry person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's That's how he played. I know that. Like he would Which is good. That's what I yeah. want my running back or my linebacker or, or right. my basically any player. I think on the football field, be angry. Yeah, yeah. I like that. But maybe as a coach where you have to be the leader of men and you got to keep some of that in check and, and how you, you know, and you talked about it, how you respond to one thing, your brother responded completely opposite. I guess that's that's part of what makes a coach great is knowing, well, I can do this with this guy, but with this guy, I got to go completely opposite. And this guy needs a pat on the back and this guy needs a kick in the butt. That's a, and this guy needs something in between. Exactly. I mean, it's just sort of just knowing the personality of it's not a one size fits all. You know, so some people, you can yell and scream, they're going to be fine, and others are going to take it personally and go, I'm not working hard for this guy. I don't even like him. Yeah, right. So, and then there are some, you know, like I said, 
I probably would respond okay to to him. Um, you know, as far as uh, that, your brother would want to fight him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what if you could guide Mike McDonald and say, here's here's the best avenue for you. Would you go experience coach? Would you go? Go get Grub. Go get a college guy. Get a young, innovative mind like you. You're 36, first timer. Bring on somebody like that. Something in between. What what path would you point them to? Towards? Oh, man, I yeah. To me, I I feel like these the younger guys that you know are innovative and coming out of college and things like that. I I feel like that would be more of the the style of what he would pick. Um, you know, as opposed to somebody that's been a play caller for a long time in the league. They're looking for. You know, uh, to to freshen things up, and but really, I mean, uh, just whoever it is that is able to get the best out of his players, and that that really, you know, we talked a lot about mostly on defense, but maybe on offense too, about that we underperformed. Mm-hmm. You know, you you just remember the the tight end thing. I mean, in two thousand twenty two, that was that was really good for the offense, and they just didn't, you know, like Will Disley didn't have a great year, and. He, I feel like he's always been one of their better receivers. He's a good blocker, all that. I mean, just getting the most out of the guys that you have, and I feel like that's that did not happen last year. And I, I think mostly on defense, but you could make that argument that it's the same thing on, on offense. Like, you know, there were so many times where DK was singled up, and I'm like, just throw it to him, man. Just uncork it. You know, and I felt like we were a little bit too – you know, uh, hesitant in that regard. And then, you know, same thing with the usage of the tight ends. I mean, it was so good. Run, pass, you could do pretty much anything out of that 13 uh, set with three tight ends. And it just didn't get to that last year. So that's that's something, that, you know, I, I guess I would tend to go with the young guy who is, you know, bringing stuff from college and yeah. different ideas and, you know, somebody who's going to mix it up a little bit. Well, and, I, and, and back to Leslie Frazier being there, I think that makes that much more palatable because there's – I love the idea of the young, innovative mind. That's what we both wanted in the head coach. Yeah. You know, I wanted Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald was that close second for me. He was first for you. But the idea of, oh, okay, so you're going to bring in a first-time head coach and you're going to bring in a guy who's never even been a position coach in the NFL potentially – uh, coming straight from college to be the coordinator. Yeah. And we talked about how generally they kind of work their way up, being a position coach and working through the ranks, so to speak. So there's there's an element of that that's a little disconcerting, but when you have Leslie Frazier there, I feel like he's that veteran, he's that sage old old voice where he's the buffer. He's the one that could maybe step in if, no, 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 you're, here's how you should read that, or here's, no, this is how you should handle this situation, or just the voice of reason, if you will, if if the young guys are getting overwhelmed or maybe getting out over their skis a bit. Yeah, yeah, and he's 64 years old, and again, this goes back a, a long ways with um, with Mike McDonald as far as, and the, the other thing, too, I love about his hire specifically is that, you know, he's a defensive coordinator for so long in the league, so that's a guy that, you know, Mike McDonald probably can explain it you know what he what he's doing and kind of have him oversee the defense a little bit that was a great hire but you know some of these other guys we're, we're going to find out later you know it's going to be like hey why did you hire this guy that nobody's heard of and you know hopefully he'll have an expl- explanation that kind of turns you on a little bit you know where you're like okay this is exactly what our offense needs and our defense needs so uh, you know I I think with uh, with John and him and this the most encouraging thing I think that came out of that 
the press conference when they introduced Mike McDonald was that John said he and I know a lot of the same guys. Yeah. You know, so they're they're well connected even though he's 36 years old. He's been in the in the league for a fair amount of time and the fact that he has some of the you know, some of the contacts that John Schneider has as well kind of also shows you how John Schneider is. I mean, he's he's always looking for the the latest, you know, hot coach and he's, you know, dialed into that and he's not an old school guy and by any means. What did John call him? He was he made a reference to his thirst for knowledge. It wasn't about trying to climb the ladder to get the better job. It was trying to get the information from it. He was like the sponge for information. Remember he's, yes. he I can't remember what he called him though. He, he had a term for it, but I I thought it was kind of funny, but you know, in in speaking to how he knows all these people, it makes perfect sense if he is that guy who's just out there seeking knowledge, just wants to pick everybody's brain, wants to know what everybody's thinking or what, you know, get their take on this, that, or the other. I love that thirst for knowledge. I love that. Yeah, what was that phrase he used? Maybe yeah. our texters can help us out. 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Yeah, I, it was something like he's a – a gatherer of information or yeah, it was something yeah, like he that. He was differentiating between him trying just to climb the ladder to get the better job each and every time. Right. It's about, no, I want to pick this guy's brain and this guy's brain and yeah. like getting to know all these people. And that's how they know all the same people. Yeah. He was very curious. I yeah. think is one of the things he said, which I love that. But yeah, I mean, I think if you're always, you know, I, I hear that from Schneider every once in a while, you know, we'll be talking about something and he'll go, he'll ask me a question. You know, about football. I'm like, dude, you pretty much know everything about the NFL. Why are you asking me a question? Did like, you say I don't I don't really know ball? Yeah, I don't John. know ball. <laughs> now, one time he asked, asked, asked me about the uh, the fly sweep. And he's like, well, what's that do to the defense? And, you know, and he, I was like, really? You want to know what I think? Wow. Cool. So, Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I, I think that he, he those are the type of, of coaches that he's looking for. All right, coming up, we'll go a little deeper on Mike McDonald's staff and one matchup that will decide the Super Bowl when we roll the tape. That's coming your way next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Let's roll the tape. Your in-depth breakdown of the Seahawks from former linebacker Dave Wyman. We're going to roll the tape on a couple of different topics here. Dave, what's the standard... What's the standard the Seahawks defense needs to be held to under Mike McDonald, in your opinion? Funny you should ask that, Bob. Just thought of it just now. Over the weekend, there was a clip that uh, that I heard from 49ers uh, defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes after the Lions game, and I thought I thought about Mike McDonald right away, but he, he's not the only one that thinks the way I do. Uh, I think you really have to ask them individually. Uh, collectively, as a team, I can tell you, as a defense, it's unacceptable. Uh, and we talked about that. Uh, I wish I could tell these guys on play four, on play 27, this is what's going to happen. Um, you don't know. Uh, so we got to make sure that we play every down as if it's going to be the difference in the ball game. And you could see on those two particular plays, uh, it wasn't to our standard. And those guys understand and know that, quite honestly, it was embarrassing. Steve Wilkes, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, obviously. And what he's talking about, because I instantly went to play four and play number 27, and those were both touchdowns. Remember the the first drive was like four plays? Mm -hmm. And, you know, play number four was the 42-yarder by Jamison Williams, where it was like a reverse. And then the other one was a 15-yard touchdown by Jameer Gibbs, play number 27. 
On both of those plays, San Francisco 49er defenders were yogging. And I was like, wow. I mean, I, I just, I felt like when I was watching those plays, and it wasn't as bad as this, but remember the, the play where there was like five missed tackles against Pittsburgh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, everybody remembers that. There was lots of jogging in that. And so just the standard, I think, for good defenses, and that's what the Baltimore Ravens have, is that you're just hustling on every single play. And on one of those plays, Chase Young, I mean, he he was terrible. He jogged, and somebody wrote about it, but, yeah, he, like, jogged all – it was a play away from him. And then you see if he would have gone full speed – the entire time he would have made a tackle on like the five yard line because mm-hmm. it took off downfield. Like I said, it was a 15 yard carry, but it was just interesting to me because Steve Wilkes is pointing this out as these are two very specific plays where we weren't ourselves. We weren't running as hard as we possibly can. And you just never heard that from last year from, from the Seahawks that there wasn't that standard being being held there. And I think I think for Clint Hurt, he had so many other things going on about that defense that it was like something he didn't really get to. But man, if you look at, you know, how the Ravens play and you look at how the 49ers play, two of the better defenses in the league, it's the very minimum you hustle on every single play. And you know, and a lot of times you think and I've I've experienced this where there was a couple of plays where If I would have ran hard all the way to the ball instead of pulling up and kind of watching the game, ball pops up in the air, I could have had it. Yeah. And that, you know, that really gets to you at some point. And so I think for Chase Young, it was it was kind of embarrassing there. But I just think it points out to the value of hustle and over scheme. It's like if you're able, I don't care how complicated your scheme is, if it's bogging guys down. It's it's just gonna it's gonna make it worse. So I mean I th- I think what we're gonna see out of this defense from Mike McDonald and possibly Leslie Frazier, you're gonna see uh, a defense where everybody knows what they're doing, and so that frees you up to just fly around the field and go make plays. And it was it was kind of interesting to see a really good defense like the 49ers have those those kinds of plays. The thing that stood out to me though was Steve Wilkes pointing it out. Well, in Shanahan we. Yeah, yesterday we read his quotes. Remember he said something along the lines of, yeah, guys were looking around waiting for somebody else to make the tackle. Yes, exactly. And that that's kind of what it looked like. You know, it was like, okay, he, he's got that. And then, you know, they even, like Dre Greenlaw, even, he had a missed tackle on the 42-yard run. So, you know, th- those kinds of things happen. But when you see guys just kind of, even Bosa, you know, it, and I, I'm sure those guys – he just got ripped on that one, and I'll bet you I've had coaches that will, on a play like that, they'll just run it back and forth like 10 times and not say anything. <laughs> Except, you know, maybe every once in a while he'll, he'll say, watch yourself. Tell me if you're if you're doing you're going as hard as you possibly can. Is this you as a player? Do you want to put this highlight film out here into the NFL because everybody sees it. You're going, please stop replaying that. Please stop. Oh, my God. <laughs> I I, the, I got ran over in the middle of the field in uh, Philadelphia by, uh, gosh, what was his name? Byers. All I Keith. know is his nickname was Keith Tank. Byers. His nickname was Tank. 
And it anyway, felt like a tank. He put a, a, his helmet between the nine and the two, and I went flat on my back. And the first thing when I hit the ground was like, that's going to look really bad on film. <laughs> He's going to replay I'm going to be embarrassed by that. And that's the thing, man. You should you should be embarrassed. It's, you know, you put that stuff out for other linebackers to watch, other defensive linemen to watch. I mean, yeah, that's, absolutely. There's, there's a pride thing there. And I think that's what we're going to see next year out of Mike McDonald's defense. What do you think about the Seahawks assistants who have reportedly been hired so far? We've got a couple of names, even Leslie Frazier, none of them official, but we've got a handful of names out there. Yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, if there's some guys are hired and they just haven't really gotten around to, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, I think they have a pretty good handle on who who they're going to hire. And But what we've heard from so far is Leslie Frazier, Kirk Olivadotti, He's a linebacker coach, which I think will be really interesting. He was 11 years with uh, Washington, and he coached London Fletcher, Mm. by the way. Uh, Brian Arakpo, uh, guys like Champ Bailey. So supposedly he is he's going to be the linebacker coach. I was really happy when they kept Carl Scott because I think Carl Scott really has a great football mind. So it sounds like it's not official. Sounds like he's going to be one. And then the other one is Jay Harbaugh, which I thought that. Larry Izzo would be a lock, just special yeah. team guy. Like those guys aren't really with the offense or defense. And I think it's it's interesting. I mean, I would love for Larry Izzo to be here, but I think it's interesting that he went and took Jay Harbaugh, who that is Jim's son, and he's been a special team guy for eight years with Michigan. And it, I just like that pick, just because you would have thought, yeah, let's let's keep Larry Izzo around. He's a D coordinator. It doesn't matter whether, or I'm sorry. Um, special team coordinator doesn't matter about our offensive philosophy or defensive philosophy he's sort of separate and the fact that they have somebody specific or he had somebody specific in mind i thought was uh, was cool also you're kind of you're kind of tapping into the i hate to say it the harbaugh Lineage. genius yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you can't say you could say kind of weird guys whatever the dad's a little nutty Very, uh yeah he wins yep and that's it's a it's a good coaching family that's for sure what will be the most intriguing matchup of this Super Bowl? Well, we talked a little bit about Steve Wilkes' defense and, and how uh, how he has played, um, how that, that defense has played. The 49ers were number three against the run. 90 yards per game is what they were giving up. And in the last two games against Green Bay and Detroit, the playoff games, um, they have given up 318 yards, 136 to Green Bay, 182 to Detroit. So, you know, you look at uh, Isaiah Pacheco. I really like this guy. He's an angry runner. He's got 254 yards, a four-yard average, three touchdowns as far as the, the playoffs go. He's had he's almost 1,200 all-purpose yards this year, nine touchdowns. I feel like that's going to be a big battle. And I think, you know, watching their defense and seeing, you know, how they repair. I think I think the 49er defense, even though they won that game, they were kind of – they've been embarrassed the last couple couple games, you know, against Green Bay, who wasn't great running the ball. Um, Detroit, I think, was number 15. They gave up 182 yards to them. So, yeah, I think uh, I think it's going to be interesting to, to see how – they fix that run defense because it has not been good so far. And we always think about the 49er defense as just being, you know, they just smother you, they crush you, and you know, they've, they've been fairly vulnerable in these two games in the in the playoffs. Alright, there you go. We roll the tape a few times a week here with Wyman and Bob coming up. 
Chiefs might have the biggest advantage at one position, but is that enough to win? We're going to get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Coming up at 5 o'clock today, El Hombre, Michael Bradley, must listen radio each and every week. Stay tuned for that here with Wyman and Bob. Seattle Sports on 710. You guys can text in throughout the show, 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Just looking at these two teams, and as we talked about, Dave, as the week goes on, we'll get deeper into the breakdown of the Chiefs versus the 49ers, but it feels like one of the more obvious advantages is that quarterback for Kansas City. I mean, I think we all kind of look at, you said it earlier, that we all kind of look at uh, Mahomes as if he's not the best quarterback in the league, I don't know who he is. He's in, it's... Apparently Josh Allen, according to some people. Who's the guy with ESPN? That, <laughs> oh, that was uh, the former lineman, right? NFL. Uh, Sean O'Hara. O'Hara. Yeah. Yeah, he was pounding oh, the table the hell for he's Josh Allen. About. Yeah, he's I, been hitting the head a lot, Dave. Well, uh, <laughs> that was before the AFC Championship game, and you saw some of the throws. Ridiculous what um, you know Mahomes can do. And, and you got to say also, Jason Kelsey was on the other side of three or four of those spectacular passes. Two for sure. The back shoulder touchdown, and then yeah. the one where he throws it back to the middle, which it was breaks. a hell of a catch, too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he had to lay out for both of those, really. So... Yeah, I mean, you could you could, you could say that, but yeah, that looks like the. But the thing is, you know, I just watched uh, again the highlight of Brock Purdy with that scramble that he had at the end of the Detroit game. That dude is fast, and I don't care what kind of a forty he runs. You look at he's leaving people behind. He's football fast. Yes, he absolutely field speed. So yeah, I don't. It's it's not that huge of, but I mean, look, yeah. Patrick Mahomes is the best. There's no question about that. But, I mean, as far as Purdy, I think, you know, the disrespect is going to continue. And I think it's a good thing. It's interesting. I think he that, likes it. Yeah. He's, maybe it's a motivator. Maybe it's the chip. It's the chip on the shoulder, yeah. Dave. But um, it's interesting because Kyle Shanahan was asked about it by Mike Robb on NFL Network yesterday. And I thought his response was perfect. His quote was, it's such a weird conversation to hear the whole world talking about this. Um, he says, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a great quarterback if you can't be a game manager. So I don't get how being a system quarterback or a game manager is a negative. Like, the job of a quarterback is to manage the game, and it's to run the system. The system is what you work on all week. That's what the O-line works on. That's what your five eligibles work on. That's everything. And at quarterback, if you want to be great, you better be able to run that system, and you better be able to manage the game. And I'm like... Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's like, when when did game manager become a, a derogative, a sort of a negative, like, oh, he's just a game. I mean, Cam Newton's out there saying it. He's, he's not special. He's a game manager. Well, maybe Cam would still be in the league if he were more of a game manager. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I just thought Shanahan nailed it. Well, I, I think it's exactly right. I mean, even Patrick Mahomes, who is probably one of the better innovators in the NFL as far as when the play breaks down and everything, he'd much rather have it go on 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 schedule, right? And that's that's what it is. And he did he even I think he even used the word schedule. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, to me, I think it's well, you you ask when's the first time we heard that? I, I guess I would go back to Russ's rookie year. Yeah. Yeah, maybe people were mad about it though. Remember, they wanted him benched in the beginning oh, or yes. in the middle of the year. 
Yes. People wanted him sat down like this guy's never going to throw for 200 yards. And then after was, the St. Louis game, yeah, remember that? that he was threw, a dreadful game. I think he threw a couple picks in that game. It was like a 16 to 9 game or something. It, yeah. was, it was just an ugly, gross game. And then it was the Arizona game where he kind of won the game twice that everybody said, all right, how oh. about you take the shackles off this kid? Chicago. Was it Chicago? Yeah. Okay. They were, you're right. They, they, he, he won the game twice, uh, and it was to get into overtime. Then he won it in overtime, and I just remember him. And who was it, man? I think it was Chris Clemens came to him on the sidelines, and we saw him, and we asked him later what he said. But he went up to, to Russell Wilson and basically anointed him like, you are the man, okay? You're going to run this offense, and you know you, you are no longer a rookie and everybody accepted uh, accepted him for what he was, but yeah, this the whole system thing it gets, you know. And I, I think the only thing other than that, everybody runs a system. Everybody wants their quarterback to manage that system. It just you know when you have Patrick Mahomes, he's a little bit better at you know off schedule when everything yeah. breaks down. And now it's back backyard football. Yeah, he, he's better. But I mean, you look at when he took off running in that game. I was just like, wow. I. The other thing, too, Bob, is I know this is not very important, but I just love that he looks like a sophomore in high school. <laughs> we were just looking at him on the TV an hour ago, and I go, look at him, Dave. He looks like he's in ninth grade. <laughs> I know. I said "There's if you looked at that, it would be totally reasonable to look at his picture and, and think that he was a high school football player. No question about yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's very important. Very it's important. What about the, the 206 says, Mahomes is a leader. Purdy is a follower. Uh, really? Is he? I mean, how do you know that? You're not in the, you know, I, actually I heard from George Kittle the other day talking about how he got angry and I don't know, he didn't yell at somebody. I think it was Ray Ray McLeod where they had some kind of a, a difference of opinion. And what it was, was he got picked off because um, McLeod broke off the route. And the reason why he did it is because the defender fell down. I think it was against Green Bay. Guy mm-hmm. falls down, so he totally changes the route. You know, waves to him, says, "Hey, here's an open spot. I got a touchdown," and he threw it to where he thought McLeod was going to be. So it gets picked off, and they have kind of a little exchange on the sidelines. And you know, and I don't think he was screaming and yelling at him or anything because he even came back and said, "Look, you know, he the DB fell down. I totally understand why McLeod did what he did." And this is being a leader, by the way. yeah. And so, you know, he told him, hey, don't worry about it. You know, I was angry because I thought this, then I saw later that the guy fell down, so everything's good. You shouldn't have done it any other way. And that that's another part of, of being a leader. And everybody looks at him as this young guy that doesn't get to, to say much. He's a good leader. He yeah. is. I mean, he's he really is developing into that. And also, I think he's... He's not doing it like he's not forcing it. You have to let that happen naturally. And, and for a quarterback, for him to come in and, you know, I'm the quarterback of the 49ers and it's going to be my way. I mean, I think he's just slowly building that leadership that everybody is, is uh, you know, wants to follow. So, And he's on a team with guys like Bosa and Kittle and, you know, some experienced guys, Fred Warner. And so, you know, he's just trying to I, – I think he's just sort of biding his time right now as far as being that that leader and yeah i i love everything he does and i think every time i see him take off running the people that think he's not an athlete it's like he said they they're not watching the film i really wish he played for another team 
where I could openly yeah. root for him. Well, because now, <laughs> Cause yeah, because what I just said, everybody's going to say I'm a 49er lover yeah. because of that. But. Well, but there are moments where I'm watching him throughout the season or even in the playoffs, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, nice nice pass or great scramble. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this is a 49ers. Ugh. I feel well, dirty. I have to go shower again. <laughs> you know, but I, I wish he played for, you know, I don't know, the, the, the Panthers or somebody where there's no impact. He plays for, you know, whoever, the Bills, the Dolphins, somebody else that just doesn't really impact the Seahawks. <laughs> It'd be, I'd feel better about it because I do love the story. The idea of Mr. Irrelevant becoming what he's become to this point. It's a great story. It really is. It's just, it's too bad it's the 49ers. It, it really is. And another another thing I would say is Kyle Shanahan, this is a pretty fantastic answer. You know, I mean, this is well thought out. It was just at a press conference, and you read it earlier, but he says the job of quarterbacks to manage the game and to run the system, and the system is what you work on all week. Yeah. I mean, this guy totally understands the game. Another negative, because <laughs> yeah, he's like, the 49er head coach. Yeah, if he and Purdy could be somewhere else, just somewhere in the AFC, just yeah. you know, but go out there, they could be with the Steelers. I don't care. Be be with uh, the Ravens, somebody, somebody else, just Makes it hard because I get I get I'm I'm conflicted, Dave. I'm conflicted when I yeah, watch him play. Yeah, I get it. Also, I know you're very sensitive to being accused of being a 49er fan. You oh don't want no, that no. With the, uh, won't be tolerated. The text. <laughs> All right, coming up, uh, there is one decision that is rapidly approaching for your Seattle Mariners. We're going to get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.